1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Janice Dean Podcast. This week marked the release of my new book called I Am the Storm. I had the privilege of interviewing folks who have fought against overwhelming odds, some successful and some still in the midst of their fights. Whistleblowers and revolutionaries, underdogs, and ordinary people who choose to fight rather than take the path of least resistance. Some of these stories have made the headlines, but a lot of them have flown under the radar. We live as Davids in a world full of Goliaths, and I felt that it was my responsibility to tell each of their inspiring stories. I am incredibly proud of this book, and I figured why not share some of the stories with all of my podcast listeners. First up, A Story of a Visionary versus a Big Time TV Network. Adam Curry is a podcaster, announcer, and media personality. He's most notably known for his time as an MTV VJ and being one of the first celebrities to create and administer websites. Before the internet boom, Adam created his own domains, curry.com, diaries.com, and even elvis.com, which became an important lesson later on. But where his battle came to play was with his biggest domain name, mtv.com. Here is some of his story about the fight for ownership and the truth. I don't know how much you can talk about the lawsuit. How much can you talk about?
2: Um, well, I can't talk about We settled. So uh, I have an official line, which is the lawsuit between MTV networks and Mr. Curry has been settled out of court neither party has any further comments. Yeah. Uh, but I can certainly tell you all the history behind it because it, it's fun and it's well documented.
1: Yeah, go, tell me.
2: Um, so MTV recruited me to come to New York in 1987. Contrary to some belief, I was not one of the original DJs, but when MTV went, you know, basic cable, 40 million households, um, that was, you know, that was when they brought in a new, uh, a new plan, including Julie Brown. Um, Kevin Seal, Carolyn Heldman at the time from Colorado, uh, a couple other people. Um, and so they recruited me. I was working in, in the Netherlands. And um, I had always, early on I'd been into computers. I mean, like I built my first acoustic modem. Um, I used the Sinclair ZX80. I mean, I was really, really early on before the Commodore 64, but also had one of those. Actually, when I was doing my my when my television career started in the Netherlands I had a Commodore sixty four and he mainly played kind of games on it and I, I remember distinctly a moment when I said to myself, I'm putting this thing in the closet because this would this could distract me from what I'm what I think I'm supposed to do. Mm. Because I knew that I could get obsessed with this and go really deep into gaming. Which I could have been a gaming billionaire by now, but I chose this other path um but i knew that when i got to and i knew of, of the internet or no i knew uh, uh about you know, like the mac plus had just kind of come out It was kind of the, the machine and so when i get to new york i'm buying the mac plus and i'm going to get on the online services because they had prodigy AOL CompuServe was really the, the one when i first got in uh AOL hadn't really started up yet and or it was called something else vienna online um and so I got online, you know, I got a, a, a huge twenty megabyte external hard drive with a SCSI cable, if you can remember that big honking cable with big connectors. Got a modem. And very quickly I was reading on some of the CompuServe forums about this thing called the internet. And you know, this is this is really, you know, it's really hard to get on, but once you're on it's where all the cool cool kids are. So, you know, I diligently learned, you know, some Unix and got a an account and a slip and PPP and God knows what other shit you had to set up just to just to and there was no web you were just basically connected with a terminal um, and so I discovered uh, news groups which was just filled with, with college kids because they had access to mainframes and computers that were connected to the Internet at the time. And they were posting all kinds of stuff about music that was not being discussed on MTV. They had very different ideas of what was great. And by the way, at the time, I didn't even think college kids counted in the Nielsen rating. Hmm. Certainly not for cable. I mean, cable wasn't even real back then. It was uh, Who's going to advertise on that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, so I discovered another program called Gopher. Uh, you know, as it sounds, gopher, uh, which is actually uh, invented by uh, the computer science lab at um, the University of Minnesota, the gophers. And um, and it was like a hyperlinking thing. So you could you be on a menu, and then the, the, you could, you know, use the arrow keys, and you could then request a document, but the cool thing was that document might not be on that computer you were accessing It was actually accessing it from another computer at a different university clear across the country and I thought this was fascinating this and I could link from that document to another document and I could set up my own and so I said you know why don't I start just collecting some information and writing about some of the stuff people are saying and publish that on a Gopher server?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and I did. And I, you know, it's just like text files, and people could go in there and check it out. And I had something called Cyber Sleaze, which was the latest gossip. Uh, it was just you know, me- messing around, really. Um, and, um, and I needed a server to put this on. And uh, by, by now I'd met a couple people who knew who I was online, and there were these guys in Virginia above a Chinese restaurant. They had a company called Digex, and these were like kind of redneck, kind of crazy, redneck, neck-bearded guys, all Unix nerds, and they were setting up something called hosting. And I said, yeah, we'll set you up with a, sun, a headless Sun 3. I said, whatever, you know, just put it in there. We made 100, 150 bucks a month, had to pay. Um, And they said, well, you need a domain name. I said, "Uh, how about mtv.com? Okay, yeah. Well, here's what you do. You send this guy an email because there was no registration. You didn't didn't go to GoDaddy. No, no. (laughs) You sent the guy an email and said, hey, man, uh, can you uh, set up mtv.com points towards this uh, IP address, and here's my details to register. And then while I was doing that, I went, hey, and get me and Elvis.com and a couple of rude ones, I can't tell you. Um, and so I got all these domain names. Uh, and that's how, that, that was the process, you know? Um, and so then I'm, I'm, I'm using this on MTV. It's like, now I'm closing the loop. I know the kids are watching in college, so I'm going to talk about my gopher server on uh, MTV.com. And you could send an email, adam at MTV.com. Um, and uh, I went to, um, uh, I want to say Van Toffler, and there was Joel Gowan, one of the two. And we had conversations about uh, what I was doing. And I said, well, tell us about this MTV.com. Oh, it's an internet server. And, you know, it's am paying for it myself. It's not, there's no real money in it. just kind of enhancing my show, which was the truth. Um, and around this time, I got an email uh, from a kid in, uh, in college in uh, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, and he said, Adam, I see you got this MTV.com, love the Gopher server. Check this shit out I'm building. Uh, if you install this server, then you can use this piece of software called Mosaic, and uh, you can then, you know, have a, like a, a multimedia experience through this new thing we call HTML. That was Mark Andreessen. So he was sitting there in college. You know, Mark Andreessen went on later, of course, to uh, create Netscape with Jim Barksdale, and now is one of the biggest Silicon Valley billionaire investors with Horowitz Andreessen. Um, so this was kind of the, the world at the time. Uh, and, you know, and then I I, would, I continued to do that. Um, and then I had another conversation uh, just to make sure everything was okay with using MTV.com. And the legendary words were, oh, yeah, no, that's cool, man. You do whatever you want. We're not interested in the Internet. We have the AOL keyword. <laughs> All right. Okay. So um, uh, I, I was using it. And, you know. I don't remember how long it was, but at a certain point, I remember driving in, I lived in New Jersey at the time, uh, Lincoln Tunnel, and it was a beautiful day, and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna you know, bang my stuff out, I'm really good at it, I, I, I can get through the day, I'll be you know, done at 1.30, I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna sit on this thing in the internet and do this shit that I love doing until three in the morning, I'm gonna rinse, repeat. No, today's the day I'm quitting. So I quit uh, after doing number one um, on the top 20 countdown Said so I think the internet's the future for me. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm out. And uh, by the way, MTV had fired me many times before then. So it wasn't like this, you know, like I didn't feel comfortable walking away from them for once. For um, they would hot fire and rehire me. That's, that, you know, it's show business. Right. Um, and, uh, and I did. And I think it was, the next weekend, seven, you know, like 7 a.m. on a Saturday, I knock at the door, and MTV served me papers suing me over MTV.com. Wow. And, and my first thought was, well, why do not you fucking ask me for it? <laughs> if you had asked me for it, I would have given it to you. But now you're being a dick. And I said, I'm going to countersue. Um, you know, because I, I clearly they had, they had given me every reason to continue using it. Um, then I did, and I immediately, and the first and last time I've ever done it in my life, I hired a publicist, publicist and I said, this is David and Goliath, literally. So when you when you brought that up to me regarding this, this project you're working on, I thought, well, that's exactly what I said to the publicist. I said, this is David and Goliath. I need the right stories in the post, you know, the, the, like local stuff to really mess with their heads. Yeah. Um, and I got a great lawyer, Joe Donnelly and, um, uh, you know, we settled and I started my first company.
1: Uh, Where, how old were you at the time?
2: Uh, so this was 94, so 30.
1: I mean, that's a young age to just, you have to fight back.
2: I'm sorry. 28. It was like I like, was around 28, I think. Yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, that's really something, Adam. I mean, to just have this like uh, it's it's so true though. Even
2: crazier. It's, no, it's even crazier because what? then I went to start my first company, and before I knew it, I did the first cybercast of the Grammys. I was building Reebok's website, Budweiser's website, Continental Airlines' website. All of a sudden, I was and then I took that company public in 96. I mean, I hadn't that was like fucking insane what happened in a few years.
1: Wow. And it all stems. (laughs) It all stems from why didn't they just do the simple thing of either apologizing or just politely asking for something? That is the I feel like that is the reason for everything.
2: And you remember I told you I had Elvis.com. For the longest time, I had king at Elvis.com. And I published that, and people were emailing uh, that address. I still have them somewhere. Um, you know, people say, hey, man, look, I know I know that you're really still alive. You know, I just wanted to say I really appreciate These beautiful emails people were sending. And then at a certain point, I got a call from Lisa Marie Presley. <gasps> Says, "Hey, can I have Elvis.com?" I said, "Yes, of course you can have Elvis.com."
1: Oh my I'll gosh! Find it over right away. Good <laughs> for you. That is just like Good I feel. Her. I Good feel like her. we have solved it because you know, for me, <laughs> for me, I've been fighting on behalf of my husband's parents because Cuomo put you know COVID-positive patients in a nursing home, oh, and I've no. always said, Adam, it was very simple. Had he said. I made a mistake. My hair was on fire. I, I thought that uh, we wouldn't have anywhere to put them. I will meet with families. Had he done that, that what? bastard, he would still be governor. We'll be right back with more right after this.
2: eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Next up, a story of a chef versus COVID-19 lockdowns. Andrew Gruel is an award-winning chef who has owned several successful restaurants in California. Here is Chef Gruel's story of persistence, faith, and holding government officials accountable. So tell me about your story.
0: Well, you know, I, I, we were, um, I've got some restaurants in Southern California. Uh, you know, we franchise our concept out, so a lot of them are independently owned and operated, and my wife and I had just started a couple small concepts as well going into the pandemic. And in the very beginning, it was the same as everybody else, right? You know, we want to do this. We want to – we're all in this together, as the cliche said, and we want to make sure we can do everything humanly possible to not just – help slow the spread, but to also help the community and to contribute and give back and be a part of this. We've always really tried to stitch ourselves into the community when things like this happen to be able to be a helping hand. And we did that from the very beginning. And as we started to understand the data and see how the pandemic was affecting business, we realized that we had a prime opportunity to use the restaurants because we are inherently trained to create safe and sanitary conditions and to really, you know, we understand the health health protocol of um, cross-contamination and even social distancing from the sense of understanding how the flu pandemic would hit our restaurants in the past. But then as we were getting shut down over and over again while we, of course, watched uh bigger businesses hollywood i'm here in los angeles and uh huntington beach take over um and really get rich on on the backs of some of these small businesses i mean it was just right in your face it was so apparent that the governments especially the local and the state governments here in california they really were picking winners and losers um and you know there was a certain point for me where we were keeping all of our employees on board and We got rejected through the PPP phase in the very beginning. We lost one of the restaurants that my wife and I had just put all of our money into. We lost that right off the bat. And like eight weeks after we lost that restaurant, I get a bill in the mail for all the the sales tax that was due. I get bills for all the other restaurants from the state of California tourism board. And I couldn't even fight back on these. And originally they had said they were going to relieve us in terms of a lot of the sales tax. And then when we called the Board of Equalization, they were like, we don't know what you're talking about. There was just no relief. um, And every program available to try and help us was so delayed. I was watching businesses, ourselves included, on some of the smaller restaurants we have drop like flies because they couldn't even make it to the point where they were able to receive a lot of the funds. And then they were just completely forgotten about by the government. And everybody was kind of patting each other on the back when the PPP funding did come through months after hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. Um, So for me, you know, it culminated when they shut down outdoor dining. And I said, whoa, 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 this is just absolutely absurd. 400 meters up the road. I can go into Walmart and pile on top of each other, not wear a mask while eating Burger King inside Walmart. But at my restaurant, I can't have tables 10 feet apart outdoors and 75 degrees sunny beautiful weather in southern california something's got to change here and that's when i got pretty loud and vocal and started speaking out against it and frankly revolting i mean we did continue to serve outdoors because we firmly believed that that was healthy to do so and that we were actually preventing people from dining indoors in home settings where we knew that COVID was spreading.
1: It was infuriating. Like, I remember, you know, we couldn't have funerals or wakes for our loved ones. We couldn't even see them uh, when they were sick with COVID uh, in the hospital or their nursing homes. And yet we were turning on the TV and watching, you know, the protests go on. It was infuriating. It's the same thing. You know, you're you're going, so what's good for you is not good for me. And that is, it's just, it's mind-blowing.
0: Yeah. And it wasn't as if we were reading it, right? We were watching it. It was right in our faces and it was promoted. And that was the point, right? And it was, then you draw the comparison of, well, what I'm doing is more important than what you're doing. You can replace your equipment. You can replace X, Y, and Z. Well, not necessarily true. I mean, I watched employees get completely taken over by debt and depression and we tried to help as many as we could. And that was when we started our fund in December um, because Interestingly, in California, they misappropriated, you know, the number is still up in the air, but somewhere around $50 billion in unemployment funds that was distributed to fraudsters and overseas. So when they shut down outdoor dining in California for like the fourth or fifth time and it was just the final straw for restaurants and you watched thousands of employees before the holidays, effectively get thrown out on the streets, and then they couldn't even apply for the unemployment benefits. And Newsom's response was, well, deal with it. It's a public health crisis. We'll be able to get the unemployment benefits when the federal government basically refreshes our coffers sometime in 2022 and we were known as an outlet where people could get help just in the industry for years as we were always trying to be able to help those who needed it and people started reaching out to us and saying i can't get unemployment benefits we're going to be on the streets we can't even pay rent electricity let alone buy christmas gifts for the kids going into the holidays so that's when we started our fund called 86 restaurant struggle um and we started raising money and distributing it to unemployed restaurant workers who lost their jobs I mean, we raised about $450,000. We're still helping, but I still remember to this day driving around two days before Christmas with with my family of four, handing out checks to landlords and paying people's rent and electric bills and giving people cash to buy Christmas gifts for their kids because Venmo and PayPal, et cetera, we had hit our max, and we couldn't be electronically distributing the funds. I mean, that was how we kind of spent our holidays And uh, still after that, government came after me, like no matter what we did to try and help, I was the enemy for speaking out against uh, Newsom.
1: How do you keep going? You know, when you have all of this going against you, uh, how do you get up and say, this is the right thing to do? I have to do this.
0: Well, you just, these are people you know, right? So it's right, it's in front of us. We see it every single day. I hear the stories as we opened up the floodgates for communication from restaurant workers all throughout the country. Originally, we were just trying to help in Southern California. And then we started getting inquiries from a lot more stricter states, right? New York City, which had the same effect in their restaurant industry. Um, Michigan, um, various states reaching out. And I started getting, I mean, we had thousands Of applications people telling their stories and we were backlogging and we were my wife was calling every single one of these people's references to make sure that their stories were real we were checking every single one of them because the money we raised this is people who also were hurting who were putting the money out to help other people I mean this is truly an inspirational story from that perspective where the government is not there and available to help Right. Because they're out there just spreading whatever messages they need to in order to, you know, kind of prop up a certain level of propaganda, if you will, and help their cronies. And we're stepping in and they're citizens helping citizens. It was an amazing story. Um, And that was really what inspired us to kind of keep going as much as as corny as that sounds. But uh, it's like once you get in the thick of it, you don't really think about what's happening. It's just every single day like, shoot, we've got to get to these. 50 applicants. We've got to get to these 75 applicants. How can we do it? Um, you know, between my wife and myself while simultaneously running, we've got eight restaurants in Southern California and we've got another 20 franchisees around the country. Um, so it, it was certainly a, uh, a busy time of the year.
1: Where does that come from in your personality? You know, I, you know, I hear it in your voice. You're obviously very informed, but where did that, where does that, you know, fire in your belly come from?
0: Um, I mean, I I grew up in Jersey, (laughs) Uh, right? Uh, You know, it just comes from my upbringing. I mean, you know, I grew up with two parents who worked really, really hard. They kind of came from nothing. And I grew up in a family where they were going to work at 7 a.m. in the morning, coming home at 11 at night and still teaching us principles. And, you know, being a being a young altar boy growing up, you kind of learn the backbone of helping others and kindness and spreading that. And that's really I mean, frankly, I think that's where it comes from. And you know, it's funny, we try and teach it to our kids. It was like, my my kids, you think they wanted to get into a car on Christmas Eve and drive around Southern California? Um, uh, you know, four kids jammed in. We had just had a baby, uh, you know, our fourth child uh, with the baby screaming. No, but hopefully they'll see that and they'll understand it when they're older and they'll they'll pass that on as well.
1: Mm-hmm. How old are your kids?
0: Uh, so 11, 7, uh, 3, and 1. Now. And-
1: Tell me about your wife, because, you know, I obviously she's got to support you. And, uh, you know, going against the governor of California and I mean, is she built the same, you know, or was there kind of like a moment where you were like, do we do we do this? Do we risk our reputations? And, and or or was it just like there was never any question you were just going to forge ahead?
0: Well, you know, it's it's funny you bring that up, because. When I actually started to speak out and get the backlash that comes along with that, right? There's a ton of support, but there is a lot of backlash. And don't get me wrong, 5% of it might be backlash, but it is bold and it is loud. I'm I'm, I'm sure you know this, right? And it's scary because you start to think, we're gonna lose it all. Um, This is how you get canceled. And uh, you know, her and I, were like it really it was like we were having conversations every night do we back off do we push forward obviously our language and our rhetoric wasn't targeting um anything or anyone in a in a uh, you know a hurtful or hateful manner it was just hey here's the situation but when you call out the situation and somebody is cultishly obsessed with the policy that supports the negative scenario they, you know they get personally they, they feel personally targeted by that. And you are now the enemy and they will go. And, and especially here in Southern California, I had people following me. We got hate mail. We got threats. We had people that would sit outside of our restaurants and take photos of myself and my wife talking to guests without masks on outside. Um, and we're talking distanced, right? Like we were outside and then they would post those on local Facebook groups and try and target us as being these COVID deniers, which but we were by no means were. We were still closed indoors. Right. So we were we it's not like we were just blindly ignoring the science and the data. We just firmly believed that giving people an opportunity to dine outdoors was going to prevent them from putting themselves in a situation with a house party, etc., where they were going to see COVID spread. Um, so, yeah, her every day it was different. Like one day I was pulling her back and saying, OK, you know, settle down a little bit on social. And the next day she was doing the same thing to me. So we're a bit of a yin and a yang, depending on the mood of the weather. <laughs>
1: Thank you all for listening to this very special edition of the Janestine podcast. I'm very proud of this book because each individual featured stood up for what they believe in. You can buy I Am the Storm at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Audible, or wherever you get your books. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's list, let me know at Janestine on Twitter or Janestine FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast.